Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Uh, We're looking at the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in John's Gospel. Uh, There are just eight of Jesus' 35 miracles that are recorded in John's Gospel. And uh, today's uh, lesson is looking at the healing of a man who had been quite ill for a long time. And we pick it up in John 5, starting at verse 1, and this is what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered columnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. How often do you and I uh, find ourselves asking really obvious questions? If somebody's limping, we say, oh, did you hurt your foot? Uh, If somebody's, you know got their arm in a sling, we say, did you hurt your arm? Uh, you know, if somebody arrives home early, unexpected, we say, oh, are you home already? <laughs> uh, they're pretty stupid questions, aren't they? And they're incredibly obvious questions. And I want to talk about the very obvious question that Jesus seems to ask of this man, because here is a man who's been sick for 38 years, and Jesus asks, do you want to get well? The question on the surface, uh, it's almost an insulting question. But I think that this question is actually crucial to the whole story. And here is Jesus in Jerusalem and he comes to this place called the Pool of Bethesda. The word Bethesda means house of mercy. In other words, this Pool of Bethesda is known as a place where you would find help and in particular where you would find healing. And this is the place in Jerusalem where all the disabled people used to gather, the blind, it tells us, and the lame and the paralyzed. So we have this large gathering of people, all with a variety of needs, and we have this paralyzed man. Now, when we read the word paralyzed, and as it was for the man in this story, we usually think of somebody who doesn't have the use of their limbs. But I want to suggest today as we unpack this message that we can actually be paralyzed in a host of different ways, not just physically. We can because of life, we can because of suffering, we can because of abuse or neglect. We can be paralyzed emotionally. And it's horrible when people are. 
People can be paralyzed spiritually, most often through sin. That they're spiritually paralyzed because there is unrepentant sin in their life. Or they've never come to a point of discovering God's grace. And so there is a spiritual paralysis caused by our sin. And I know that here this morning, even amongst this small group, that there are people who have suffered terribly through life at times. There are people who have suffered the the greatest of challenges. There are the people that have suffered the greatest of hurts. There have been people in this room this morning who at some point in life have been absolutely crippled by the things that life has thrown at them. But in saying that, I will also say this, that for the vast majority of those people that I know about, they have moved on from that point of paralysis and been wonderfully set free by the grace and the healing power of God. Can I hear an amen this morning? And there is wonderful testimonies, even in this room and this morning, uh, of a God who takes brokenness and can turn it right around and make something beautiful out of it. And I would say in the same breath that there are also people here this morning who actually need to walk free from whatever it is that's been holding you back, from whatever it is that has been crippling you, and to be able to walk into the fullness or to begin to walk in the fullness of what God has for you. You might be carrying pain for some reason. You might be carrying hurt. You might be carrying bitterness. You might be carrying unforgiveness. Now remember that all of these miracles... In John's Gospel, John calls miraculous signs. And it is so important that when we see a miraculous sign, as John calls them, that we don't stop at the sign because signs are always a pointer to a destination. Signs point to the destination. And I would suggest this morning that this man's miracle, this miracle of one man's healing, is not just the story of a guy who got healed, but that behind that there is a great destination for you and I to go to that would allow us to receive something, something that we can apply to our lives today, so many centuries after it actually happened for this man. And I would suggest, in a sense, that it's a lesson for us about what it takes. What do we need to do to move on into the fullness of what God has for us? What is it that's holding us back? What is it it that is causing us to be crippled? So back to the passage. I find it really interesting that Jesus goes to a place where there, look, everybody by that pool, generally speaking, would have a need for healing. So Jesus goes to a place where there is a whole bunch of people, uh, 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 you know, this, this throng of people who all have a physical need. And it, uh, I find it interesting, but I also find it beautiful that Jesus focuses on one person. You know, he doesn't doesn't go and do what all the televangelists do and do this big sweep and there's like this, you know, domino effect of people dropping to the floor. Uh, He's interested in the one. And I love that. And he goes and he just focuses upon this one person. Verse 3 says, Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed... One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus asks this paralyzed man, Hey, do you want to be healed? 
Let me suggest that that's not an ignorant question nor is an insulting question. It's actually a really, really powerful question. You've been sick for 38 years. Do you want to be healed? Jesus never, ever asks unnecessary questions. So what's the lesson here? Why did Jesus ask this question? I think there's a few reasons. Number one, I think when you've been crippled, sick, an invalid, for so many years, it actually leads to helplessness. Helplessness then often leads to a point of resignation or even giving up. And I think anybody who's suffered for a long period of time can easily and understandably come to that place of feeling helpless about their condition. And sometimes it is really, really easy for physical weakness or for illness or for emotional pain to create this sense of hopelessness within us and then for that to rob us of any expectation that anything can be done about it at all. And so we become resigned to it. And the question Jesus would ask is this. Do you really want to be healed or have you become complacent? Have you become used to? Have you become resigned to your paralysis? Second thing I would suggest is this, that hopelessness can lead to an unhealthy dependency on others. Now, let me pause there because it is so important that we gather around those who are hurting, that we gather around those who need our help. That is a scriptural principle. It is one of the the beautiful things about a community of faith, about a spiritual family, that we are there for one another, that we support one another, help one another, encourage one another, the one another's that we often talk about of the New Testament. And I'm not suggesting that this is particularly true of the man in this story, but it is certainly true of people in similar circumstances. And that's this. Some people get so crippled, uh, so, so comfortable with being crippled, they, they love the attention that it gets them. They love the compassion and the generosity and the support that they receive. And then that in itself, all of that support and all that attention then becomes a blockage to them being set free from whatever it is that's paralyzing them, if that makes sense. And again, I'm not making that judgment against this particular guy. I'm not saying that he had a really bad attitude or anything like that. But there's no question he would have, in his paralysis, become very accustomed to other people having to help him. He would have become incredibly reliant upon other people. I depend on other people just to get me around. I depend on other people to bring me food or to bring me clothing. But I I guarantee that if this guy was like many people today, in the back of his mind would have been this thought. Well, if Jesus heals me, I'll have no reason for other people to have to provide for my needs. If Jesus heals me, then I'll lose the attention that my paralysis has been getting me. If Jesus heals me, then it means I'm going to be independent and I've got to find some strength and actually start looking after myself. And friends, here's the warning. If we settle into helplessness, it has an incredibly bad habit of making us lazy and even a little bit selfish. In its extreme, helplessness becomes what we think 
is a good excuse for bad behavior. And we've got to guard against it. Thirdly, helplessness can lead us to a sense of uselessness. I've been paralyzed for 38 years. If I get healed, what am I going to do then? I've never worked. I don't have a trade. I will be totally, totally useless. I've never done anything in my life. Now, let me take a slight detail from, uh, detour from the story today and suggest this, that this is the case that for us, spiritually speaking, in regards to God. So often we carry this attitude that says, you know what, I'm aware of where I came from. I'm aware of the issues of sin that I've come out of. I'm aware of my past failures. And and with all of that in my background, with that shadow following me around, I think that I can never, ever be of any use to God. And so we, we have this sense of uselessness. How could God ever use me? How could I ever serve God in any capacity when I have that background behind me? Friends, can I say this morning that is a lie that the devil loves for you to believe and it's absolute rubbish. God is a redeeming God. God takes everything about your life, even the bad stuff and the horrible stuff about your past and and he has this wonderful way of turning around even the painful things in your life and turning them into something that will bring glory to God and will be a great source of blessing to others. Can I hear an amen? But here's the thing, you've got to give it to him. And we've got to stop living with the condemnation of the devil that says you're not worthy and start living in the light of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 5 and 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has what? Passed away. My translation says gone, but passed away is really good. The old has gone, the new has come. Everybody say the old has gone. And we've got to believe that. We've got to believe that. Otherwise, we will stay at a point where we are spiritually paralyzed, thinking I have nothing of worth or value to bring to God. So guys, let me tell you this. I I think in the same way, Jesus would ask us a question. As he examines our heart, as he examines our lives, as he examines our areas of paralysis, he would ask us the question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made whole? Now, I don't know what you have in your mind when you picture the pool of Bethesda. Maybe you picture as some you know, beautiful oasis, this you know, crystal blue water with a you know, spotless sandy beach and a a few coconut palms waving around, Uh, that is not the pool of Bethesda. In fact, it was a messy, messy place. Listen to how one commentator describes it. That this pool was called Bethesda, the house of mercy, because the sheep offered in sacrifice in the nearby temple had their entrails, their innards, washed in the pool of Bethesda as part of the ceremonial process. And therefore the pool was bloodied and dirty. Diseased people were not allowed into the temple, but some of these diseased people would bathe in the bloodied water of the pool of Bethesda because they believed that connecting themselves, contacting themselves with the blood of the offerings would have some miraculous healing virtue attached to it. So that gives us a picture of this place. Now when Jesus asks this man if he wants to be healed, interestingly the guy didn't say yes. You know what he did? 
He gave him excuses as to why he couldn't be healed. Ouch, because I think we do exactly the same thing. Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. He's basically saying, Jesus, yeah, I want to be healed, but it's not my fault. I have no one to help me in. Then he says, even further than that, to give further excuse, even when I try to get in the water, somebody jumps in ahead of me. They block my path. And it would seem in this guy's mind that everybody else is to blame for him not receiving his healing, for him not being able to get into the pool. And friends, I've got to say, this is really, really so easy for us to do. So often, it's an easy out to blame other people for our own circumstances. And I don't want to minimize in any way, please hear my heart this morning. I do not want to minimize very real and incredibly painful circumstances and situations for people. But listen very, very carefully. We will never have victory over the obstacles in our lives while we continue to use those obstacles as excuses. Can I say it again? We will never have victory over the obstacles in our life when we continue to use those obstacles as excuses. You see, here this guy in the most critical encounter, the most critical um, moment in his life is looking into the eyes of the one who has the key to his healing. Jesus has wonderfully singled this man out. He has Jesus' attention. And I think Jesus would look him straight in the eye and then ask him this question that on first read actually seems like a waste of ink. Do you want to be healed? And I, gotta, I have bizarre mental pictures when I read the Word of God. And one of them is of this guy looking a little bit like a distracted six-year-old when they're being chastised by a parent. And he's kind of looking around at everybody else. And I can see Jesus going, listen, don't worry about them. I want you to focus on me right now. Stop looking around. Just look at me. Look at me. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? Forget people going ahead of me. Forget there's nobody to help me. Do you want to be healed? And friends, I ask you the question with your own relationship with God this morning, to those own, the areas in your life that you struggle to resolve, that you struggle to move on from, even the areas that you sometimes use an excuse to justify bad behavior. Maybe for some of us, we're not even a Christian here this morning. There comes a moment for each one of us where Jesus is. Do you want to be made whole? And we've got to say, you know what? Yes, I, I, I want to be made whole. And again, maybe for some of us, there, there are very real issues that are blocking our walk with God. The question is, do we really want to deal with those things? Really interesting thing is that when Jesus asks him the question... And then he begins to offer excuses. Jesus doesn't entertain the excuses. It's almost like he just pretends he hasn't said anything. And then in verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And here is Jesus 
asking this guy to do the very thing that he's been able, unable to do for the last 38 years. He's been paralysed. He hasn't been able to get up and walk. And Jesus is saying to a man in a paralysed condition, walk. I reckon the people who were around him, who would have seen this going on, would have been thinking, is this guy just really, really cruel? Or is he crazy? Or is he both? How dare he ask a crippled man to get up and walk? So why did Jesus say get up? Why didn't he just reach out his hand and heal him? Because there's a really important principle right through this series, but an important principle that I've reinforced over the years. And that is this principle, that whenever God moves sovereignly, whenever God moves supernaturally, whenever God moves significantly or miraculously, God's moving is always preceded by an act of obedience. It's always preceded by a command. And so Jesus gives a command and then there is the decision on behalf of the individual that I will respond to the command. And this is a principle that plays out over and over and over and over again in Scripture. Every act of Jesus in our life requires an act of obedience from us. And we've got to get a hold of this because so often we're wondering why God isn't moving in my life. Part of the reason sometimes or often is because we're not doing what God is requiring us to do so that we might see that breakthrough in our life. Does that make sense? Jesus doesn't stand back, click his fingers and things happen. You and I are called to participate in what God is doing. So he says to this man, get up. And sometimes we, we wrongly think, you know, God, I'm just waiting for you to do this thing. I'm just waiting for you to do this thing, waiting for you to do this thing. And all the time God's saying, get up, get up. Friends, God is the source of your breakthrough. You've got to know that. God can and God does do what God and God alone can do. But we never, ever, ever just sit back and wait for it to happen. There is always a command that precedes the miracle. So we've got to ask ourselves, what am I doing? What am I doing in response to what God is showing me? What am I doing in response to what God's Word reveals to me? What am I doing in regards to... Uh, what God has said in my heart, the things that I know, the, the, the things that the Holy Spirit just magnifies, I think I, I've got to do something about that. What are we doing? This man had not worked for, walked for 38 years and Jesus says, get up. And we don't know how it plays out, but it does play out. Something within the man begins to respond. And it would have had to have been a physical response. In whatever way, he struggled to try to get to his feet. There was an act of obedience in response to the command. And he had enough strength or whatever it was, enough determination, enough faith to try and push himself to his feet. 
and the miracle happens. I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to respond in obedience. And friends, if we are truly going to grow in God, we've got to get to that place of not just being religious people who know the reality of God academically, but who experience the reality of God every day. The reality of a God who does move supernaturally. The reality of God who does carry our burden. The reality of a God who does give us wisdom. The reality of a God who does give us assurance even when things are uncertain. The reality of a God who brings peace. All of that is the supernatural activity of God. But we need to be a faith people reaching out into that which God has for us. And listen to this. When our will is in harmony with God's will, that's when things happen. What do I mean by that? Well, God's will, for this guy, God's will was get up. Man's will in this situation is, well, all right. (laughs) I haven't done this for 38 years, but I'm going to give it a go. And that's the point of connection. That's the point where our will steps into harmony with God's will. And then verse 9 happens. At once the man was cured. There's the connection. At once the man was cured. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Other translations call this man's mat his bed. And I got to thinking, what's his bed got to do with it? Why is that some sort of unnecessary description within the context of this passage? I actually think it's a critical part of the lesson. And here it is. Jesus did not want this man to have any excuse or any temptation to go back to where he came from. He could have said, get up. And the man said, oh, I did it. And there, there was the connection. There was the miracle. Fantastic. Now I'm healed. And Jesus left. And this guy could have gone, well, it's good I'm healed. But you know what? It mightn't last. So I'm kind of good that I've left my bed there. And I can go back to it just in case this thing doesn't stick. And here's a sad reality. There will be times in our Christian walk when for whatever reason... God seems absent and we go, hey God, where are you right now? And we find ourselves in the middle of the tough stuff of life. Can I say this, that it is at those times that our spiritual maturity is really going to be tested. And it saddens me that in my experience over the decades, there have been people that I've looked up to, that I've said, you're, you know, that I've regarded as spiritual mentors. And they've failed that test. And it's, it's incredibly devastating. When the pressure is on, they've failed. They didn't press deeper into God. They withdrew and they slipped back to old patterns, to old habits and to old vices. And friends, can I tell you, it is in the testing stuff of life that you and I are most spiritually vulnerable. And can I say this? If you and I, using this analogy, have left our mats 
sitting by the pool of Bethesda, the irresistible temptation is to go back and lie on the mat, to go back and get back in that stinking pool. And if we do, then we're going to find ourselves even more miserable than we were in the midst of the trial. Friends, Jesus doesn't just say, get up. He says, get up and take your mat. Never, ever keep your mat there as some kind of backup, some kind of safety net, something to fall back on, because almost certainly if we know it's there when the pressure is on, we will fall back on it. Friends, the old has gone and the new has come and we've got to stop looking back. Jesus said in Luke 9 and 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. So here's the question this morning. Where are you? Where, where is there a work that needs to take place within you? Is there some kind of paralysis in your life that maybe even as we've unpacked this scripture this morning, God is highlighting or putting a magnifying glass or a spotlight on? There might be a thousand different things, but maybe there's something the Holy Spirit has just highlighted for you. And you say, you know what? I think that's the blockage in my life. I think that's the paralysis that I need to get up from. I think that's the thing that's hindering me. 